we're in this conversation about what it means to be happy. And uh, apparently most of us aren't happy because they've done studies and only one out of three of us would say that we are happy. What's interesting about that is that if you dig deep into some of the research and some of the studies, you'd find that in America, we are spending more money than ever on happiness. It's interesting, right? But we're as unhappy as we've ever been. We're spending as much money as we've ever spent on happiness. We have happiness seminars, coaches, consultants, all kinds of things when it comes to happiness. And yet for whatever reason, we are as unhappy as we've ever been. In fact, I was reading, this was interesting to me, that actually some companies are making a full-time position, somebody full-time in their company who comes in and their entire job is a happiness expert. So they have a happiness expert. Google did this, and this is what they call it. Their job is this. This happiness expert is entitled Google's Jolly Good Fellow. That's the name of the job, right? That's the job you want, right? So their job is not to come in and make sure you're doing what you're supposed to, but it's to make sure you're happy while doing it. Isn't that interesting? We live in a time when we want to be happy, we spend money to be happy, we get coaches to help us be happy, we go to seminars, there's like all kinds of TED Talks and books on Amazon that you can get when it comes to being happy, and yet for whatever reason, we're becoming more and more unhappy. Happy. In fact, statistics say this, 2007, United States was ranked third in the countries of the world. For whatever reason, 2017, we now are 19th. We're 19th in the ranking when it comes to happiness index in the world. That's what makes interesting to me this sermon Jesus is preaching. In his first recorded sermon, which is where we've been in Matthew 5, we're going to show you the verses up here. He simply is starting his sermon on this whole idea of happiness. And how we know that is this, is because nine times he uses the word blessed. And the word blessed means blissful or happy, a peace, inner contentment, joy that is independent of external circumstances. It's this thing we want to get our arms around, we can't seem to get our arms around. And so what we're saying is, why don't we lean in to this sermon that Jesus is preaching and maybe there unlock the secret to happiness. Problem is this, he says some things that causes us to scratch our head. He started by saying, happy or blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He simply says, happy are those who are poor spiritual beggars because they and only they will enter the kingdom and they and only they will experience the happiness of the kingdom. That's interesting because they and only they are the ones who have their hands out, realize they're bankrupt, dependent on God, and they and only they are the ones whom the king can fill those hands. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week, we took it a step further, right? Last week was kind of heavy and hard all at the same time. Many of you talked to me after last week. And it was heavy and hard because then he goes from that and he says, happy are those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. It's like he was saying, happy are the sad. And what we said last week was this, and if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to get online and check it out, because we said that my true happiness is in direct proportion to my godly sorrow over my sin. That's something you won't read in a happiness self-help book today, but that's what Jesus was saying, that my true happiness is in direct proportion to my godly sorrow over my sin, And so we began to look at what does it mean to be sorrowful in a godly kind of way, in the way that God intended. 
That was last week. This week, he's going to take it a step further, and he says, happy or blessed are the meek. Why? Because they will inherit the earth. Now, let's just look here a second. This is all in Matthew 5, which I have you open to Psalm 37. You'll see why in a minute. But Jesus is talking to a crowd. Let's get our bearings. We said this the first week. He's talking to a crowd, and in this crowd, there is the disenfranchised. There's the poor. There's the hurting. There's the people who were were on the fringe. There's the people who were already the outcast. There was these people that were following Jesus. We know that. But here's what I want you to know today. He's talking to a primarily Jewish audience. Why are you saying that? Because this audience that he's talking to, which is primary, primarily Jewish, is longing for, hoping for, and waiting for the time of their great happiness. You're like, what do you mean, Dan? Well, I'm glad to tell you what I mean. Since 63 BC, 63 years before Jesus ever entered onto the scene, the Jewish people had been living under the shadow of Caesar's rule. The Romans were in charge, and they were waiting for the promised, what they called a Messiah. The Messiah was going to come. The king was going to come, right? And he was going to restore the kingdom to them. He was going to usher in their happiness. He was going to bring in the promise to them. So they were really, really excited when Jesus shows up and he says, hey, the kingdom's at hand. Yes, this is our time, right? We're going to get rid of the Romans, But then it was really, really confusing. You could almost hear the the air go out of the room when Jesus says, oh, by the way, happy are the meek. Because everybody in the room had to be looking at him and say, you're the king bringing in this kingdom and you're saying that happy are the meek. And they had to be sitting there saying, that doesn't compute because do you know what happens to meek messiahs? They get killed. You see, everything Jesus is saying, let's just look here a second and let me tell you this. Everything he's saying goes counterintuitive to what we think. You might as well be honest about it. And I would dare say this one today gets the least press of them all. It's like blessed are poor and spirit. You read all kinds of stuff. Blessed are those who mourn, read all kinds. But meek? Meek? Like, we don't even talk about meek today. And it goes so against what we think in our culture it means to be happy because here's what our culture says. Here's what everything around us says. Happy are blessed or the strong they survive. Happy are the loud, they get heard. Happy are the pushy, they get their way. Happy are the arrogant, they get noticed. Everything around us screams different. And he comes on the scene, the king bringing in the king, he says, happy? Happy are the meek? You gotta be kidding me. I like what an author whose name is Don McCullough writes. He says it this way. He says, meekness. Let's just admit it. We don't like the word. It tastes insipid. It smells like morning mouth. It looks like Casper milk toast. It has the strength of a cooked noodle. This is what he says. Listen, this is so true. Coaches don't rally teams with it. Executives don't send salespeople out into the field and say, go be meek. Politicians don't promise to lead with it. Parents don't counsel their kids to develop it. Generals won't embolden troops with a speech about it. There's no seminars on meekness. It seems downright, listen close, un-American meekness does. It's an interesting topic, meekness. I've been a pastor for almost 25 years. I have not met very many people that come to me and say, you know, Pastor Dan, I'm praying for meekness. (laughs) It's not something we pray about. Can we just be honest? 
It's not something, oh, God, make me meek. In fact, it's really, really hard to find. It's, it's hard to find in our world. Like you turn on the television, you watch the sports scene, you're not going to find meekness. You watch the world of politics and business, you're not going to find meekness. And to add further confusion to it, it's not a word we use. Like we, we don't go around talking about meek very often. And when we do, we usually have in mind somebody who's shy, backward, Right? Somebody who's weak and timid. That's what we have in mind. So we really got to drill and say, okay, Jesus is happier than meek. I want to be happy. I want to know. I want to unlock the secret. What in the world is he talking about? And so to understand what he's talking about, we got to understand. I've been doing this every week. Understand the word that he uses and unlock the meaning of that word. Can we do that? The word that he uses for meek, blessed or happier than meek, is this word praus. You can forget that it's a Greek word. Here's what it means. It means to be mild or gentle. It means a power or a strength that is surrendered, that is controlled, that is steered. It's a power or a strength that is surrendered. It's controlled. It's steered. And because, listen close, because it's steered and surrendered and controlled, it serves a purpose. Let me tell you what I mean. In their culture, the word meek would have been used with three different things that would help us understand this, okay? First, it would have been used in medicine. Medicine could be described as meek because medicine is powerful. And when given appropriately, when given under control, it can calm nerves, it can cure symptoms, it can kill germs, right? Medicine called meek, it's a power when given under control is very powerful, serves a purpose, The second thing that it was used for is wind, wind, wind under control, very powerful, right? But under control, it can create energy, right? Not only that, it can be very refreshing. Wind under control can can produce a lot of powerful results. And the third picture, the third picture is a horse, a colt, a stallion, something like that. That, that is broken and brought under control because a stallion under control can serve a purpose on the farm, can serve a purpose. A rider can ride it. Now listen close. All three of those pictures are the pictures of power under control. And all three of those pictures remind me that those same powers out of control can destroy. Think about it. Medicine out of control, you know what it does? Creates addiction and kills. We know that in our community, don't we? Not only that, wind out of control creates all kinds of damage and storms and hurricanes and all kinds of stuff. Wind out of control. A horse or a stallion out of control can damage, can buck a rider, no use on the farm. What Jesus is talking about here when he says meek, listen close, and then we're going to drive, drive this home. He is not talking about weak. He's not saying blessed are the weak. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying blessed are the the mousy, the pushovers. That's not what he's saying. He is saying blessed are those who surrender control. Blessed are those who are meek. They understand what it means to be steered, surrendered. They understand what it means to give up control. Here's the way I want you to write it. Happiness is surrendering control to God before I lose control. Happiness is is surrendering control to God before I lose control. Now, 
here's the deal. I have this deep passion, guys, for the Bible to come alive to you. I say it this way. I want you to read it in color, not black and white. Today is a case in point. You got to do this with me. You, you got to go here with me, okay? Because for this to come alive, I believe this particular thing Jesus says gets glossed over. And blessed are the make the inherit the earth. What's next? And yet there's such power, and to understand the power, we gotta, we got to allow the color of the Bible to kind of drip into our life a little bit today. Can we do that? Jesus, you're saying, Dan, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to tell you. Jesus, when he says this, blessed are the meek, he's quoting from the Old Testament. You're like, well, where is he quoting from? Glad you asked. Psalm 37. I want to show you this. You got it open. You should have it open in your laps. If not, we'll throw most of this on the screen. But if you have it open in your laps, look at verse 11. Here's what it says. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. But the ones who have surrendered control, the ones who are allowing God to steer, will inherit the land. Here's the deal. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, but here's what I want you to know. He's quoting from the Old Testament, so we can't just read a verse, right? You know, I tell you this all the time. you got to read the zip code. So what does it mean to be meek? Like, what does that look like? Well, he tells us in Psalm 37. You're saying where? I'm glad you asked. Verse 3. Look at what it says. Here's what it means to surrender control. He says in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. First thing it means is to trust God, right? Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. So somehow surrendering control means I'm going to trust God. I'm going to delight in God. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And then he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. I'm going to trust him, delight in him, commit my way to him. He'll make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Look, look here a second. Here's what he's saying. You want to know what it means to surrender control? Trust God. Commit your way to him. Follow him. Obey him. Delight in him. It's a relationship. You're not following rules. It's a relationship. And then he says, I want you to wait patiently on him. Look here, I just want to be honest with you. Love it, right? Those are incredible verses. Like I can picture myself sitting beside a stream, drinking a cup of coffee, reading those verses and say, oh Lord, I'm going to trust you. I can picture myself on top of a mountain saying, I just want to commit my ways. I just want to wait patiently. I mean, there's something about reading these verses when everything seems under control that makes these verses sound good. Like, like I'm going to read this on a spiritual retreat and feel good about what it means to trust God, to commit my ways. I just want to delight in you. I just want to follow you. I want to wait on you. It sounds great when everything's going right, right? But if somehow I read those words and think they sound great when everything's going right, look here a second, I will lose the power of Psalm 37. Because Psalm 37 is written when everything seems to be going wrong. Psalm 37 seems to be written when everything feels out of control. Psalm 37 seems to be written when, when all of a sudden there's this angst inside of the writer. And it makes me realize something, and I want you to hear me say this. Meekness is not just a product of my personality. I'm not born with meekness. Listen, listen, this is, there's no shortcut for this. Meekness is developed. 
and meekness is developed when I feel, when I feel out of control. Meekness is developed when I feel out of control. You see, that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying that somehow meekness in my life, you're like, how do I get meekness? Maybe I'll go read a book by a calm stream. He's like, that's not how you develop meekness. But, but, but some of you are sitting here right now and your life feels out of control. You walked in here this morning, you're like, man, I just need an hour of peace because everything in you, every circumstance in your life feels out of control. And what Jesus wants to say is happy are those who are surrendered, they've surrendered control and meekness, surrendering control, is developed when my life feels out of control. What happens when my life feels out of control? Look back at Psalm 37. Look at verse 1. He says, do not fret because of those who are evil. Look at verse 7. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. Look at verse 8. He says, do not fret. It leads only to evil. See what he's saying? He's saying this. He's saying, meekness is developed when I naturally want to fret. Now listen, look here. We don't use that word, right? What's he talking about? He's talking about worry. That's what he's talking about. I want you to write it this way. Meekness is developed in me when I feel out of control and become anxious. When I feel out of control and become anxious, worry, worry will steal your happiness. Anybody in the room agree with that? Yeah. Anxiety will paralyze your life, will twist you into knots, will cause you to awfulize circumstances in your life. They'll make me panic. And here's what happens. I begin to worry when everything seems out of control and I forget that God is in control. I'm gonna say that again. I begin to worry when I think everything's out of control. Oh my, what's gonna happen? And I forget that God is in control. And all of a sudden, anxiety begins to steal. And it's in those moments when everything, like, I don't know, this didn't go the way I thought. I thought the kids were gonna, and I had my day scheduled this way, and I didn't know. And I begin to worry, and I forget. That's when meekness has the opportunity to be developed in my life. Because in those moments, when it's hard to surrender control, because I want to be in control, that's why I'm worried. That's why I'm anxious. That's what anxiety is, you see? That's when meekness has a chance to be developed. But it's not just when I worry. It's not just when I'm anxious. Psalm 37, there's, there, there, there's, another, there's another ingredient in there. Look what it says in verse 8. Refrain from, say it out loud, anger and turn from wrath. See, I want you to write down this way. Meekness is developed to me when not only I become anxious, but when I get angry. Because when life gets out of control, we lean on one of two sides. Some of us in the room, were worry warts. Don't look at your partner, your neighbor, whatever, right? Some of us, that's how we, we're like, when life seems out of control, like, oh no, what's gonna happen, right? And others of us, you know what we do? We get angry. This isn't going the way I want. And we start grabbing them, and we start venting, and we start what? You see, anger isn't necessarily a bad thing, but out of control, it can be destructive. I read this somewhere, I, I, I like it. Guy said this, said, Having a temper is not necessarily a bad thing, but it sure is a shame to lose your temper. And I thought, that's so true. Being passionate, being, having an, a righteous anger isn't necessarily bad. But when it's out of control, it can create chaos, destruction, pulverize, vent, right? Cause a lot of damage. 
You see, all the psalmist is saying here, all he's saying is meekness is developed, not when you're sitting by a stream, everything's going right, you're reading your favorite book, listening in your headphones, drinking a cup of coffee, but it's developed when life seems out of control, when you look around, you're like, what's happening? I can't believe, and you are tempted to either run into anxiety or run into anger. That's when meekness is developed. Because it's at those moments that you have a decision to make. Either I'm going to lean into, I've got control, so I'm going to be anxious, I'm going to get angry, or I'm going to lean into the fact, you know, God, I believe you're in control. And what the psalm says is simply this. He says, it's in those moments when I'm anxious and angry that God develops meekness. Now, in Psalm 37, what are some of those moments? See if you can't relate with any of this. When do I feel anxious or get angry? See if you can relate. Just shake your head if you agree with any of these. I get anxious or I get very angry when cheaters get ahead. Anybody with me? I get angry or I get anxious when the evil ways of people go unpunished. They seem to get away with it. Anybody with me? Come on. We're just human in here, right? I get angry or I get anxious when I'm treated unfairly by others. I get angry or I get anxious when people take advantage of me. I get angry or I get anxious when people insult me aren't telling the truth about me. Let's put it into our modern day, see if this one doesn't relate. I get angry or I get anxious when the other party wins the election. Don't say amen. Come on, I read social media sometimes. A lot of angry Christians, a lot of anxious Christians. Come on. I get angry, I get anxious when the boss is unfair to me. I get angry, I get anxious when I don't get what I want or think that I deserve. What he's simply saying, Jesus is quoting from this, he's saying meekness, this strength under control, this surrendered control of my life to the one who's in control, it is developed when life feels out of control. And what God is saying is this, will you trust me? Sure, everything's going great. No, no. Will you trust me when it feels like it's flying apart? He's saying, will you delight in me? Sure, I'm on top of a mountain. No, no. Will you delight in me when you go back to your neighborhood and everybody else seems to be delighting in everything but me and their life seems to be getting ahead? He's saying, will you commit your way to me? Sure, I'm in church. No, no, no. I'm saying, will you commit your way to me when everybody you work with seems to be committing their way to everything else but me? He's saying, will you wait on me and be patient? Sure. No, no. I'm saying, will you wait on me and be patient when you're praying for something and it's not coming in the timetable you want it to? When it's not showing up exactly when you want. Will you wait? Will you be patient? Will you surrender? That's when meekness is developed. You tracking with what meekness is? See, Psalm 37 makes this pop. And he's saying that meekness is simply me surrendering control to the one who's in control. You know, there's a guy in the Old Testament that is described as meek. Did you know that? His name's Moses. I think we have Numbers 12.3. The man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on... That's kind of a big statement, right? More than everybody. Do you know Moses' story? Can we just say it this way? Moses was not a weak man. Did you know that? Like Moses, remember, he rescued, he's in the basket in the Nile. Remember that story? Grows up in Egypt. Kind of a cool story, right? Grows up in Egypt, but one day he's out kind of looking at what's going on, and he sees one of the Hebrews, the, the people that were his people 
being mistreated by an Egyptian. Moses was no pushover. You know what he did? He killed the dude. Read it. He, ki- he killed the dude. That is strength out of control. That's strength out of control. You know what happened? You know what happened? Fleas. And for 40 years, 40 years, 40 years, he's in the desert as an obscure, unknown shepherd. You know what God's doing? Developing what? Meekness. You know why? Because the latter part of his life, you see that man who strength out of control, now all of a sudden God develops strength under control. He's standing before the most powerful man on the planet whose name happened to be Pharaoh. And he's saying, let my people go. I trust him. And life seemed to fly apart. And he says, let my people go. We're going this way. And he said, I'm going to commit my ways to God. Even though that army's following and there's a Red Sea there, I'm committing my, it doesn't look good, but I'm committing my way. What was happening? That was strength being steered and under control. Look look here and then we got to fly. I don't know how to say this other than to look at you and say, particularly those of you younger in the room, there is no shortcut for this. There's no shortcut for meekness being developed in your life. Like, Pastor Dan, can you give us a good book? Nope. The only thing I know is is that meekness is developed when life feels out of control. And it's at those moments I determine why I trust him, why I commit to him, why I delight in him, why I wait for him. So it begs the question then, the question is this, well, how do I know that meekness is being developed inside of me? How do I know that? Here's a little statement There's no blanks for it, but it's just good to know. What's being developed inside of me will eventually be displayed outside of me. What's being developed inside of me will eventually be displayed outside of me. You see, that's why in the Bible, meekness is called a fruit of the Spirit. Right? Galatians chapter 5. Fruit of Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience. You learned it that way. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Same Greek word for meekness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Meekness is a fruit of surrendering my life to the Holy Spirit. So here's the question, and we're going to fly through these. Here's the question. Is my life producing the fruit of meekness? Is my life producing... Well, how do I know that, Dan? Four things. Four things. I'd love for you to write them down. Let them percolate. I'd love for you to write them down. How do I know my life is, is somehow producing the fruit of meekness? First is this. Meekness is displayed when I allow God to tell me what to do. That is the place it begins. Meekness is displayed in my life when I allow God to tell me what to do. Can I ask you a question? Look here a second. Are you allowing God to tell you what to do? Don't answer too quick. Because all of us in this room have somebody that's telling us what to do. Even if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't even believe in God. Let me talk to you for a second. Like, I don't even believe in God and I don't believe the Bible's true. I I couldn't be more thrilled that you're here, if that's you. I mean that. Like, I don't agree with anything you're saying. That's fine. You're not the first. And you don't have to agree with everything I say to come here. But can I tell you this? If that is you, you're listening to somebody. Somebody is telling you how to live your life. You're taking your cues from somebody. And so all 
All God is saying is that when I want to live with meekness, life surrendered to his control, it begins by allowing God to tell me what to do. James 1 says it this way. Know this, brothers, every person, I want you to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with, there it is, meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Listen, listen. Can I ask you a couple questions? Am I listening to God? I want to debunk a myth. I have people come in my office all the time, and here's what they'll say to me. I heard God say to me when I was driving down the road and whatever. And that's great, cool, whatever. But if that's the only way you're hearing from God, like, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I know, I know. I'll get some emails on that one. You're in trouble. Here's why I want to tell you that. Because God speaks through his word. The spirit of God uses his word. And if I'm not somehow listening, shh. What he's saying is, shh, quick to listen. Don't always go, got to fix this. We got to go here. We got to do this. We got to get the kids here. We got to do this. We got to do this. He's saying, shh. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. I got an opinion. Shh. And slow to become angry. And then he says this, receive with humble meekness the word. You know what that means? That means that when I read the Bible, okay, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but to make a point, I want to show you something. When I read the Bible, I don't read it so that somehow it proves my point. I don't read the Bible standing over the Bible so that it proves my point. When I read the word of God, I listen to God with allowing it to stand over me. It's a big difference. And then he says, here's how I know I receive it with meekness. I do what it says. No one else is, I do what it says. You see, the first fruit of meekness is simply, am I allowing God to tell me what to do? Can I tell you something? Let's just talk, Frank. I, I told you earlier, I've been a pastor for 25 years. Something interesting happens, and we all do it. We all do it. I meet people, and once in a while I say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. And I'm not, by the way, if you didn't know, I'm, I'm not the church police. We don't take attendance here, okay? You don't get extra points like, hey, you know, every Sunday you were here. That's not the way this rolls. But if somebody doesn't show up for, like, weeks on end, and, like, I notice it or something, I, I love you. And I'm like, hey, I miss you. And here's something I'll hear sometimes. You know why I haven't been there, Pastor Dan? Because I'm going through a really, really hard time. And I just needed to get things together and, so I could come back to church. Listen, friends. Listen, friends. If there's a time you need to be here, like come all three services, I don't know. But if there's a time you need to be here, it's when life's falling apart. Why is it that inside of us we like, I gotta get control. I'm gonna get away from hearing God and I'm gonna go be anxious or angry. And then when everything seems to be back into control, then, see how that works? He's like, no, 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 no. It's when life seems out of control. It's when life seems out of control that meekness is developed. Second thing, second thing, and I gotta fly through these. But second thing is this, meekness is displayed when I play well with others. When I play well with others. Here's the way Paul wrote it in Ephesians chapter four. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. It's the same word, praos, for, for meekness. Be, be patient, 
bearing with one another, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Listen, listen, meekness is essential for the family to get along. Meekness is essential for the family to get along. Here, here's what meekness means. Meekness, uh, Joel, a few weeks ago, preached a sermon, and he made a statement that, that really stuck with me. Meekness is understanding what it means to be self-forgetful. Here's what that means. Do I walk into a room and is my first impulse, what's everybody thinking about me? Am I wearing the right? Do they think this? Or is my first impulse when I walk in the room, what does everybody need from me? You see, meekness is willing to forget self to serve others. Meekness doesn't have to always have its own way. Meekness doesn't have to always be the one in charge. Meekness is open to the advice and ideas of others. Meekness is not a bully, it's not pushy. It plays well with others. How do I know I'm displaying this? Listen, listen. Look into your marriage. We don't even need to look, here. look into your marriage. Is meekness showing up in your marriage? Now, now we went from preaching to meddling, I realize, but that's where it begins. See what I mean? You want your marriage to work. I don't know, shortcut. He's to develop. But he seems so. Yep. And meekness begins to develop. He's not doing what? I know. And meekness begins to develop. See how that works? Not only that, this one's, this one's tough. Meekness is displayed in my life when I restore a brother who sinned. Meekness is displayed in my life when I restore a brother who sinned. Let me show you this passage. And then I need to explain this. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. King James says spirit of meekness. Look here a second. Let me explain this and then I want to tell you the tricky part of this. Meekness, when it sees or finds a brother in a sin, wants to work to restore that brother. Now listen close. You never have power quite like when you find out something about someone where they've really, really screwed up. Come on. We're just being honest in the room, right? When I find out something about somebody and they really, really screwed up, all of a sudden I'm in, I'm in a power position in our culture. I know something. And I can begin to leverage that. And here's what he's saying. When that happens in the church, meekness is gone. Like if I begin to say, hey, you know what I'm going to call the prayer chain? I just want people praying because I found out Festus over here is doing some things he shouldn't, right? See how that works? I just want to share this with my neighbor because I know you're concerned too. You see, what Paul is saying is, no, no, meekness somehow wants to go to a brother and walk him, walk him to restoration. Now, it's tricky. Trust me, it's tricky. Because here's what you need. I want to clarify what Paul is saying and he's not saying. Meekness is not soft on sin, Meekness is not soft on sin. You ought to write that down somewhere. That's not what meekness is. And meekness, I cannot restore an unrepentant brother. If, if the brother won't repent and recognize his sin, I can't walk with him to restoration. So what does it mean to walk with a brother with a spirit of meekness? It means this, I'm going to mourn with him over his sin how he mourns. I'm going to mourn with him over his sin. I'm not going to look at him and say, you know, I know something about you. But I'm literally going to, uh, my heart is going to break over sin in his life. 
I'm not going to stand in judgment of. I'm going to try to lead to. And sometimes you can't get there. Sometimes they won't go with you there. But I was, to, as much as, as you're able, I'm going to walk with them to restoration. That's what he's saying. It's meekness. And last but not least, and Ben, we're going to fly, so I'm not going to go to all the slides, okay? Meekness is displayed when I make the gospel attractive. I'm going to skip the next couple slides. Stay with me. In 1 Peter, look here a second. This one hurts. Meekness shows up when I make the gospel attractive. 1 Peter 3, write this down somewhere, test me on it. Test me on it later, okay? 1 Peter 3 says this. It's talking to wives who live with husbands who aren't followers of Christ. Some of you are in that boat. 1 Peter 3, read it. And here's what it says. It says, I want you to live with your husbands who don't know Jesus, and I don't want you to nag them. By the way, if your husband isn't somebody who comes to church, doesn't know Jesus, and your habit is to nag them, can I tell you something? And and I know you're nagging them because you want them to get it. Can I just tell you this? With all the love I can muster up, stop. It doesn't work. But here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. He says, I want you to live with them, and I want you to develop a quiet and gentle spirit, a meek spirit. It's not mousy. It's not a pushover. That's not what he's talking about. He said, I want you to live surrendered to the one who's in control so that your husband who doesn't know Jesus might be won over without even words. Isn't that interesting? And then a little later in the passage, he says, hey, and by the way, when people are angry and and insult you and do unfair things to you, don't seek revenge. But instead, live in a spirit of meekness. So that when you get to verse 15, let's throw that up there. He says, so when all of a sudden in your hearts you honor Christ as Lord, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that's in you and do it with gentleness and respect. What's he saying? He's saying this. Browbeating people with the story of Jesus will not work. Picketing, screaming, placards, signs, mean t-shirts, weird bumper stickers don't work. Nor are we instructed to do that. But he's saying, what if meekness somehow was the very ingredient in your life, my life under his control, my life under his control. People are mean to me, and yet somehow I'm going to live, I'm going to trust him, I'm going to commit to him, right? People say offhanded things. Anybody have anybody work like that? They say offhanded things. And meekness is able to say, I'm going to trust, I'm going to surrender, right? And what if that made the gospel attractive to the point where eventually somebody looked at you someday and said, what is your deal? Because I'd have popped that dude. And when that moment comes, you have the chance to share. Can I tell you something about the one who I follow? And when that moment comes, he says, do it with gentleness, meekness, and respect. You see, this thing that Jesus is saying isn't just like, One of men, this is like power packed. It's developed when life seems out of control, when I feel out of control. It's displayed in my life. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It leads to this question, then we're done. Then how do I get that? Like, Dan, how do like how do I get that? Because my life's out of control. And you said you don't have a book for me. 
And listen, listen, I have no book, I have a person. And that person is Jesus. You see, meekness is demonstrated perfectly in Jesus. As the band comes out and sets up, I'd love for you to keep your stuff out because there's a couple blanks for you to fill in. But we're going to finish with a song. And Ben, I'm going to fly. You don't even need to put all the verses up if you don't want to. But when you look at the Bible and you look at the story of Jesus, there's something interesting. In Matthew 11, let's go ahead and put that one up. In Matthew 11, the only place I can find where Jesus describes himself, he says, I want all of you who are weary and burdened to come to me. Look up here a second. You know what will cause you to be wearied and burdened? My life's out of control and I'm so anxious and I'm so worried. My life's out of control and I'm angry. And I'm angry. He says, listen, don't go read a book. Come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? I'll give you rest. And he said, why don't you hitch your life to me? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am meek and humble in heart. When God put skin on, he was the perfect description of meekness. God in the flesh, meek. Today's Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus come riding into town. Do you remember that story? And it fulfilled a prophecy. And the prophecy was simply this. See, your king comes to you. He's gentle. He's riding on a donkey. He's humble. Into town that day came Jesus, the self-proclaimed king, bringing in this kingdom. And it said he's meek. He is strength under control. He is the one who recognizes who's in control. He rode that donkey into town. And it led him to a garden. And in that garden, he prayed. And he anguished. And he was the perfect picture of meekness. Because he said, Father, if there's any way, any way for this cup to pass. But then he said this. Not my will. Yours be done. They came and they arrested him in that garden. They drug him to an illegal trial. In the middle of that moment when he needed his friends the most. When he needed his friends the most. Is when his closest friend Peter. For the third time denied that he even knew him. And in that moment meekness was on display. Because Luke simply says Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Not with eyes of judgment, but with eyes of compassion. He would later restore Peter, and Peter would be the very one to lead his church. The story goes on that he stood that trial. They plucked his beard. They spit on him. They accused him of all kinds of things he did not do, that he wasn't about. They were unjust to him. And Peter says this. The one who denied him says this, that Jesus listened to their insults and did not retaliate. He was meekness on display. He entrusted himself to the one who was in control. They eventually 
slung an old wooden beam across his shoulders and they marched him up a hill and they attached that beam to a cross they raised that cross and there he was to die with other criminals criminals who would be shouting all kinds of curses upon the people that put them there and in the middle of that moment meekness was on display power under control the one who made the universe on that cross looking at those who nailed him there and he said father forgive them they don't know what they're doing never was the gospel more attractive than it was that moment you see what's the secret to meekness it's understanding that Jesus at the cross surrendered he surrendered all control in order to secure my happiness in order to secure your happiness see at the cross we see meekness on display in the person of Jesus you see I don't got a book for you I got a person for some of you maybe you've never said yes to Jesus you've never surrendered control to him in the first place and maybe the invitation to you this morning is simply to say your life feels out of control that Jesus died for you in your place and maybe this morning's the morning you say I want to give you complete control my heart my life all that I am some of you are here and you'd say I'm a Christ follower but your life is out of control and anxiety and, and anger have overtaken your spirit and this morning this one that we celebrate on Palm Sunday who rode into town the king who would eventually die on the cross says happy are the surrendered because that king didn't stay on that cross they buried him in an old borrowed tomb and next week we're gonna learn that he rose again and he says for all those who've surrendered their life to me they one day will inherit the earth they literally will reign with me and even though it looks like everything's out of control and everything looks like it should happen on a different timetable and it looks like somebody needs to get their hands in this thing Jesus said trust me commit your ways to me delight in me and wait patiently for me so God still our hearts in this room there's no way we can do this there's no way we can do this without Jesus and so we're praying this morning Jesus would you help us